Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome back to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It's the Monday Pickups edition, a highly collectible edition of this podcast. Um, you're joining us at the right time. Andy Barron's here in your ears on a on a Monday afternoon. I'm I'm with multi sport fantasy legend Scott Pianowski. Uh, we are we are fresh off a of full serving of opening week NFL matchups. It was a glorious Sunday for the most part. First. Before uh, we get into it and before I, I engage with Scott, a little little bit of pre-show business. You all can still sign up for a Yahoo Fantasy League at sports.yahoo.com slash fantasy. You are encouraged to do so. If you're 0-1 in your, in your main fantasy league right now, for, for goodness sakes, get another team. Also, consider signing up for Yahoo Fantasy Plus. Take it for a test drive with a free trial. You're going to get all sorts of research tools, all sorts of data there that's unavailable to non-plus players. Enjoy the newsletter that I lovingly craft for you each week. Um, that is yahoofantasyfootball.com slash plus. Oh, that's the that's the corporate propaganda out of the way, Scott. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It was a fun week one. I got you know, there's some hits, there's some misses. Um, overall, I, I feel like enough went right that I don't, you know, I, I'm not filled with self-loathing that you can have when a week doesn't go your way. I, you know, it's, uh, it was fun. Fun to have the game back. Fun to see people in the crowd, which I enjoyed. Uh, you know, the NFL is the biggest behemoth in the sports world, so let's enjoy it. Yeah, crowd noise um, was a thing. Crowd noise was cut, like legitimate, real crowd noise, not not fake crowd noise. That was, <laughs> that was kind of fun to experience. Also, again. I also I always find it fascinating when a crowd is not the home crowd, right? Where you know which which yeah. way is the crowd leaning? Who is in these seats, right? I think it's fascinating. I remember the Chargers when they played in San Diego, and producer John will remember this quite well. There would just be like a Monday night P- Pittsburgh. Chargers game was like you know, basically a Steelers home game. It was just embarrassing that eighty five percent of the fans were there for Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh travels really well, and some teams do. But uh, it's fun to see w- which way the crowd's going. Or sometimes you see, sometimes I see this a lot in NHL game seven, where a home team will come out a little flat, and the crowd gets so tight, and there's so much nervous energy. I actually think it's a detriment to be the home team in that instance because crowds matter. I, it's the emotional effect that a crowd has on a game is is a tangible thing i mean it's hard to actually it is a pretty well studied matter and it it definitely can affect uh officiating uh across all sports um but but not equally across all sports so it it is definitely a thing i'm super anxious actually not not that we need to go too far down this tangent but i am really anxious to see how things play out in vegas right which is going to be such a destination for visiting even 
even fan bases that don't necessarily always travel are probably going to want to travel to Vegas. I, I, I just can't. I can't wait to see how many Baltimore fans are going to be there uh, on Monday night. Uh, I feel like that's going to be it. But they're also Raiders fans, right? And Raiders fans travel really well, too. And they're they're a very loyal group. Well, the, remember, the, the Vegas hockey team went to the NHL finals as an expansion team, which is just an amazing, a monumental accomplishment. Yeah. I, think, I think if they had won the Stanley Cup, maybe they would have done a documentary about that already. <laughs> Although maybe, maybe there's one out there, but yeah, Vegas is a, is a great, it's just great. Look, I, I feel bad that the, the Raiders aren't in Oakland. I feel bad the Chargers aren't in San Diego, but Vegas always was a good destination for a team. It makes sense. And now we have some franchises in Vegas. And I'm looking forward to this game. This will be one of the few times all year I'll be on the Raiders and after a one and three start to the darts, if you want, you know, we're going to do some of your P&L right, P&L wrong, Baron's right, Baron's wrong. Whenever my picks go one and three, I, I am, you know, I, I cannot be <laughs> satisfied. The Patriots outplayed the Dolphins didn't cover. So, you know, did no ticket at the window. And thankfully, your Bears came through for me by, by losing to the Rams. But I need the Raiders tonight. The Bears had exactly the game that uh, we should have forecast for them, like down to the, uh, I don't know, down to the absolute stat. Maybe they, was, want, maybe they wanted it, right? Just throw out Dalton, have a mediocre game, lose, and let's get this Justin Fields thing going. Yeah, well, we still have to get the the Andy Dalton revenge game against Cincinnati out of the way. And then once we're past that, I'm I'm hopeful that we're going to see a little more Justin Fields. Um, you you alluded to it. We're going to we're going to get to key injuries from opening week and our recommended pickups in just a few minutes. But just right here, top of the show, give me one big thing that you got right about opening week. It could be a team. It can be a player. It could be a broadcaster. I don't care. It could be anything about opening week that you got right. And then just give me one big thing that you got wrong. I don't know how to count, so I'm going to give you two things. Corey Davis is my most owned receiver. I feel great <laughs> about that. And end sentence. I also thought that the Niners had an excellent chance to be the biggest gap between great real-life team and unbelievably annoying fantasy team. And mm. look, I know worried about Shanahan isn't exactly a new take, but Kyle Shanahan is really the most dangerous person in fantasy because he's a brilliant coach who can get production out of almost anybody, and he has no incentive to tell us things like, oh, uh, Trey Sermon might not play this week. Oh, Brandon Ayuk may be in the doghouse. I don't know anybody who was aware of those things. I feel lucky that I don't have a lot of Ayuk because I just thought he, him and Debo Samuel were so close in ability level. I would always take the more ADP inexpensive Samuel. But uh, this is a team that I think could go to the Super Bowl. And as much as we're going to talk up one of their running backs this week, we're going to have a lot of discussions on this Monday pod that are around this backfield. This is yep. going to be... There's going to be several different players who go for a buck seven and a touchdown on this team because that's just the way it's designed to be. As far as things I got wrong, I feel like I owe an apology to Hawkinson and Swift. I was worried that they were great players, but Detroit would hold them down because the receiver room was so bad. Maybe they wouldn't move the ball. Well, maybe the really bad receiver room just means that people like Hawkinson and Swift touched the ball more. They were a garbage time, legendary uh, team in the second half of that game against the Niners. Uh, I also am crafting a, a handwritten apology to Sean Payton as we speak. And I think I may have overestimated how much Cliff Kingsbury could maybe hurt that Arizona offense. <laughs> Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was a fun player for two years. What if yeah. he's actually a better passer this year? He could be MVP Kyler Murray. To your, to your point about Detroit, um, I feel like that way. And I, you know, this is such damning with faint praise because the whole NFC North was horrible, right? The NFC mm -hmm. North didn't get a win oh, in opening week. But man, de like Detroit was frisky. I, I feel like they played as well as as certainly any team in the division. 
Um, they were the only team, you know, I'm thinking of them looking at you, Bears and Packers. They were the only team that didn't close in like a gutless fashion. And um, if you think about if you think about the way that start would have gone in the Matt Patricia era, it, it doesn't end like that. It doesn't end in a in a one score game with Detroit driving. Right. Like they gave themselves a chance to uh, to actually force overtime in that thing. So that was. That was pretty fun to see. Um, Jared Goff with a wild game, full of full of mistakes. Fifty-seven pass attempts, thirty-two of them go to running backs or tight ends. He still had the the sort of average depth of target that you would expect from Jared Goff in the in the Rams years, because um, they didn't go to the receivers at all, at all, really at all. Um, there's no receiver coming out of a, a fifty-seven attempt game who had more than like six targets. Um, so there's not even anybody to add. So that was pretty wild. I, I I would list the one thing that I, I feel really that I felt really strongly about and had a huge fantasy investment in going into the season as uh, as the you know, I have a lot of the Eagles stack of, of Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. In fact, there are very few leagues in which I do not have Devontae Smith on a roster simply because I had a, I probably had him 10 spots higher than consensus. And that made all the difference when, uh, you know, when when it was when it was time to choose a, let's say, sixth round wide receiver or running back. I was just always going Devontae Smith. So that worked. Hertz was. Yeah, listen, I don't want to I don't want to overhype it because it was what we expect to be the easiest matchup in fantasy. Right. If you get the if you get Atlanta's defense on the schedule, you got you got to crush it. Um, and he absolutely did. He completed 77 percent of his throws. He still gave us the 60 plus rushing yards. It was everything that you want out of Hertz. So that was absolutely great to see. Um, really encouraging performance from him. Good performance from Smith and all that. As for things I got wrong, you already mentioned the Niners. I I think I got everything wrong about the Niners. I don't I don't think there's one aspect of the Niners that I that I predicted well going into the season. Ayuk obviously was was leapfrogged somewhere along the way in the receiving hierarchy. Right there, there was a kind of I I don't want to say murky comments after the game, but it was they left open the possibility that this is related to the injury that he had over the final couple weeks um, uh, in the in the preseason. But his role was severely diminished. Debo Samuel suddenly goes downfield like he was a guy who had a, a, you know, I think his intended air yards per target last year were like two, literally like two. It was at the bottom of the league. And it was a totally respectable eight something in in uh, in the opener. So Debo was a completely different receiver, had the running back room all wrong, you know, except for Mostert at the top. And we'll get into that in a little bit. That didn't work out as often happens. If you if you would have told me going into the game that a Niners rookie running back was going to blow up, I would have known exactly what to do. And I would have been wrong. <laughs> right. Like we got the we got the wrong guy. So um, the the Niners surprised me in every possible way. And it feels like maybe it was a failure of reporting, right? Like, how did we get so many things about this team wrong? But you, you think about that. And then I, I really believe that it was just because our sole focus with that team was the quarterback situation and who was going to start and how much Lance are we going to see that perhaps we just ignored every other aspect. Well, I would also say it's a disclosure issue because Kyle yeah. Shanahan is just not going to tell you, right? I mean... It's never been harder. You and I both have work, newspaper work in our backgrounds. Mm -hmm. We've been in locker rooms and stuff. And we're at a time now where the reporters have never had less access than than they do right now. And the teams and players have never had more agency in getting their message out directly to the consumer and skipping the middleman, skipping the reporter. And then, you know, the nuanced relationships that are often a part of that, that's really changed. And just appreciate it. When you have a coach like oh, Shanahan, I, he just, there's no incentive to tell the truth about any of this stuff anyway. Right. How does it ever help a football team 
That's why I always appreciate it when somebody like Mike Tomlin will be very forthcoming with injuries or maybe usage expected because you can take what Tomlin says pretty much at face value. Uh, just one other thing I want to say that made me feel good before we go into uh, the pickups, which is why people are here. I attacked in the fourth and fifth round a lot of receivers who were tied to narrow usage trees. You guys on the Rams, guys on the Seahawks, yep. guys on, on the Vikings. And, you know, I, I just feel like Thielen and Lockett were mispriced all summer. And they're going to, you know, is Adam Thielen going to score 14 touchdowns? Probably not. But because he scores short touchdowns and he has great rapport with Kirk Cousins, I don't see why he can't score 10 or 11. Uh, Tyler Lockett, I have him just about everywhere I could get him. And the, you know, the Rams guys, you know, they did throw to maybe more of their secondary guys than I expected. But Matthew Stafford was in a bad relationship. I'm just glad to see Matthew Stafford in a very healthy, fulfilling relationship <laughs> now. Yeah, Cup was targeted ten times. Cup was Cup was great. I, I think you're I think you're right to call this out. I actually think that sometimes sometimes when everybody um, with a fantasy platform is screaming touchdown regression on a guy, that guy ends up being a really good value, right? Like what I I mean, fine. We all expect Adam Thielen to regress a little bit in terms of in terms of touchdowns, but what if he only scores eight? Like like okay, he dialed it back. He's still at. He's still a terrific fantasy asset, and he's one of two receivers that they're going to throw to over the over the balance of the year. The key is regression starts the conversation. It is a starting yes. point; it's not an ending point. That's the takeaway there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get into uh, let's get into pickups again. It's the reason that people are here. Uh, I, normally, I will I will try to go through what we know about uh, injuries at the at the start of each position. Honestly, the, the at running back, it's not that messy in terms of injuries, but uh, but the Raheem Mostert situation is is probably the worst of them. Man, he was going to have a good day. Two carries, twenty yards, looks great, looks like Mostert. You know, we'd even talked on Fantasy Football Live coming into the coming into the day. You know, as we as we learned that Trey Sermon wasn't going to be active, and so there wasn't you know there wasn't that worry. I was trying to find a way to move Mostert up into my top 10, top 12, right? It just seemed like such an obvious blow-up spot. And it would have been, based on the results that we saw from rookie Elijah Mitchell, right? Um, it would have been a huge spot for Mostert. He, he would have had at least the stat line, I think, that Mitchell did. Um, but he has a knee injury now. A again, we're, we're speaking on Monday afternoon. Don't know the full diagnosis, full status. It's not believed to be an ACL. So, you know, hopefully Mostert gets back out there. He's still the presumptive lead back here. But we got we got to talk about the sixth round rookie out of Louisiana, uh, a raging Cajun, uh, Elijah Mitchell. I don't want to I don't want to oversell him. I don't know that he looked spectacular. His long touchdown was was not untouched, but it was close to untouched. Right. It was certainly a play on which Mostert scores and probably scores untouched. But he was good. Like, it, it seems pretty clear that if you give Mitchell a little bit of a runway, if you're not hitting him behind the line of scrimmage, which is probably not going to happen often in this offense, like, he's decisive and and he was fine. Uh, so he goes over 100 yards. He played almost exactly the role that I think we would have expected from Mostert. I think he's probably going to be everyone's priority here. But, you know, it's a Kyle Shanahan backfield. It's a Shanahan backfield generally. They got a lot of guys. Um, Jamichael Hasty played. Trey Sermon, uh, we have to assume, even though like one of the key takeaways from what Shanahan was saying following the game was that uh, this wasn't like a secret injury with Trey Sermon. He just got outplayed by these guys. So he's he was legitimately something like fourth on the depth chart. Right. So that is one of the most important pieces of information that we have here is that Mitchell and Hasty are actually ahead of him. But still, it's Shanahan. We worry about this. 
Other names that I mentioned in the pickups column, Mark Ingram, he saw 26 carries, and it's really hard not to add a guy who sees 26 carries, even if he's Mark Ingram. Kenneth Gainwell, Tony Jones, James White is available in two-thirds of leagues, which is a little bit surprising to me. How do you... uh, how do you rate them all? How do you prioritize them? Yeah, Mitchell has to be the number one guy for obvious reasons, but he's somebody, yeah, look, you have to tell this. You have to fit fit into your context of what your needs are and what your roster looks like and what your what the fab habits are of your league. But I feel like I'm going to be a competitive Mitchell bidder. I'm not going to be a shove everybody out of the way. I have to win this. <laughs> I don't care if I go bankrupt on it. I'm just going to be competitive and I'll, and I'll let the room push me where I need to go in most situations because I just feel like some weeks... Maybe out of nowhere, Hasty will get 15 carries. And some weeks, Sermon will get into the mix. And Wilson will come back off his injury at some point. Mike Shanahan said there's not going to be a hierarchy with the running backs. They're not going to make somebody the – they're not going to play to a role and say, okay, this is the guy. And, we're, and so every week, I think we're going to have to you – know, Mitchell, we can now give a projectable floor to next week. But it's a week-by-week thing with the Niners. Again, if, if you lost – uh, if your t- if your running back room fit a certain, you know, maybe you lost Gus Edwards a week ago, right? Maybe you're still stinging from yeah. that. Um, so you you may have to be more aggressive with something like this. I'm not afraid to be proactive with Mitchell, but it's not going to be. I have to have him. I, I generally don't. The have to have pickups are usually not my guys anyway. I think you have to learn how to buy at the bottom of the market or buy a week early on on people on players. That's how you become a good player. You know, Mark Ingram, you get the overwhelming amount of work. And remember, goal line carries are like save opportunities in baseball. You convert one, they give you another one. They just, <laughs> you know, they they, they, they want to go with something that works. The, the coaches want to have a button that works, a big red button, and they push it. And, you know, Andy, I have no proof of this, but every player who switched, every skill player who switched to a single digit, I'm convinced, looked better yesterday. <laughs> Mark, Mark Ingram, yeah, 3.1 yards of carry, whatever. He's in the end zone a couple times. Sterling Shepard, I'm convinced, you know, is all of a sudden this twitchy, uncoverable receiver wearing number three, where he was just a good player wearing number 87. And maybe the Texans, it's hard to know what to take when you beat up a Jaguars team that might be pretty lousy. Maybe Urban Meyer was just a big mistake. But maybe the Texans can just be a mediocre 5-12, and 6-11, 4-13 team rather than the lookout below 1-16 team. I think most people expected one or two win team. If they can be a competitive football team and at least give up, give us a handful of guys that go into the usable player pool, that's yeah. a big win for fantasy. I'm excited about Tony Jones because as great as Kamara is, he's still somebody who has to have a touch cap. There'll be every once in a while out of nowhere he'll have like a 24 touch game, and then out of nowhere he'll have like an 11 touch game. They ha- are going to have a role for another running back. I think it could be Tony Jones. You got to remember with James White, he's all low floor. There's no upside here, I, and I realize. There's some fumble shaming going on with a couple of different players, and they're going to use different guys. But there's no scenario where the Patriots want James White to be their you know, de facto lead back. He's right. always going to be a base player on this offense. So it, that's all you need. If you're just looking to fill out that what-the-heck flex, as Sigmund Bloom would say, White can be that guy. Just remember, he's never going to be somebody you're going to start every week without any reservation. There's just going to be too many moving parts of that offense. Yeah, I feel the same way with White. He's uh, obviously PPR, full PPR is his friendliest format. And he's a guy that gets you through bye weeks. He's not a guy that I would ideally start almost anywhere in, in week two when virtually the entire league is available to me. I'm probably, I'm pro- he's probably more of a, a bench guy that, again, you're using to, to sort of guide you through the buys. The, the other name that I, that I thought was 
interesting, not overwhelmingly interesting. And I'm, this is going to be this is going to be one aspect of the Eagles that I'm a little bit wrong on is I, I didn't I didn't think that Kenneth Gainwell was going to have much of a role this early in the season. I wasn't as sold on him as many others were off the off the collegiate work. I, I had assumed that Boston Scott would retain that sort of, uh, you know, supporting back behind Miles Sanders situation. And that's just that's just plainly Gainwell. Now, he saw double digit touches, found the end zone like Gainwell isn't necessarily going to going to uh, challenge Miles. I, I still think that Miles Sanders does almost everything better than Gainwell, although I can't really defend Sanders over the last, you know, this past preseason and then last season, he just had some nasty drops. So um, perhaps he's not the receiver that I thought he was going to be coming out of school. Um, he had a good rookie year in that department, but uh, but not so much last year. Um, Gainwell is pretty clearly going to be going to be, if not a threat to him, he, he's going to be somebody that we can we can think of in the in the flex conversation as we get into the buys. I don't know what to make of Tony Jones because I actually have Tony Jones uh, and drafted him in almost all of my deep leagues. If it's a league of 14 teams and greater, I've probably got Tony Jones. The logic behind that was, hey, if this is the new Latavius Murray, Latavius was always getting 150 to 160 touches. And I'll take that in a Sean Payton offense. That seems that seems like a layup to me. He got just barely sprinkled in with uh, with Kamara for most of this game until until it was just time to run the clock out against uh, against Green Bay. So I might have liked to see a little bit more Tony Jones while this game was still competitive, not that it was competitive for long. Um, but I'm still interested in the player. He, he carries 11 times for 50 yards, and that ain't bad. I just look at Kamara getting 20 carries. I don't think there's any scenario where the Saints yeah. want him to go over 300 for the season. I also should mention Jalen Hurts is somebody that if we talked three, four months ago, I would have very confidently projected that he would have been my most rostered quarterback. And based on some tea leaves, and then they, they, they did trade late in, in the summer for Minshew, who I think is a really good backup, although maybe he'll never be really good enough to be a starter. He kind of feels like a, a new version of Ryan Fitzpatrick, which we may need now that the old version of Ryan Fitzpatrick is hurt. I started backing off Hurts and getting a little bit more nervous of Hurts, and then I started to think, oh, well, I really like the Tom Brady setup, and I really like the Matthew Stafford setup, even though those guys don't run. So I'm probably a little underweight on Hurts. I probably don't have him even in a proportionate share of leagues. I feel like right now that's a gigantic mistake because what I like about Hertz is that he can be a great fantasy factor when he plays well. He can also be a fantasy factor when he doesn't play well because he's yeah. going to run proactively. And if he's going to throw the ball as well as he did yesterday, I, I feel you, you made a great call on Devonta Smith. He was somebody I was nervous about. I was petrified to draft Dallas Goddard to the point I thought he was one of the worst values on the board. He did score in week one, made me look bad. I guess this is a roundabout way of just addressing your game well point where I, I feel like this is an offense that I was walking away from. I wasn't sure about the <laughs> coaching staff. And hey, right now the Eagles are 1-0. This is a division up for grabs. The Giants obviously have all sorts totally. of problems. Dallas Dallas won, uh, won Thursday without winning in the sense that I thought their offense looked really good, but their defense can't stop anything. Washington's already lost their quarterback, although no shame in losing to a good Chargers team. I think Philadelphia was, I expected them to be the worst team in this division. And I feel like Last year, remember, the NFC East was a mess all year. And the Eagles were the favorite for most of that season. And then they ended up kind of collapsing. And I, I think I just buried this team when I shouldn't have. I want to be open-minded to Gainwell because I think he played enough and well enough that if anything ever happened to Sanders, we could give Gainwell like a running back 16, like ranking right out of the box. Absolutely. Guys like that, guys like that should be rostered pretty much in every medium and deep league. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, I, I guess that the, the, as you're discussing Hertz there, the, the one thing that shook me about Hertz was um, I think it was with like a week to go before the regular season start. Like I, I, you know, I was drafting him a lot. I was very confident in him again because of the rushing floor and, and the improvement in the receiving core. It was like a week ahead of the regular season that they actually formally announced him as the starter. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, really? We (laughs) like we hadn't settled that yet. That was still okay. I I don't think I'd realized that that had not actually been uttered, that that had not been spoken into existence until we were right on the brink of the regular season. I was like, okay. Um, cause obviously they flirted with, uh, with the Sean Watson trades throughout the summer. And I, I, I gotta say, I didn't, I didn't really regard Minshew as, as a huge threat. If that was the resolution to the, the, you know, months long flirtation with, uh, with a Watson deal, then I felt fine about it. But I don't think I'd recognized that they had not actually announced him as the starter until that late in the game. Well, maybe Joe Flacco was having that kind of a camp that they needed to leave that as open, <laughs> open-ended as long as they could. All right, let's transition to the wide receivers. We did have a couple of meaningful injuries here. Obviously, Michael Gallup in the Thursday night game uh, checked out with a calf injury. Hopefully that's not too serious, isn't a multi-week thing. Jerry Judy is going to be a multi-week thing. And it looked it looked worse than the, the reports uh, would suggest now. It looked like it had the potential to be a season ender. So is merely a high ankle sprain. That's a weird thing to say because a high ankle sprain is generally multiple weeks and uh, also with the potential to compromise a player when they attempt to return from it, right? So this could be... This could be half a season or so before before we get like the version of Jerry Judy that we really expect. So that's a worry. The guys that I wrote about in the pickups column as potential pickups, and I honestly I don't I don't know that I well I'll separate one of them because Shepherd. yeah I'll, I'll separate I'll separate Shepard here. I think he's probably the the priority. There's obviously a comfort level with uh, with his quarterback. He caught his quarterback's only touchdown, and Shepard had to do most of the heavy lifting on that on that touchdown as well. It was a great play. He saw the targets. He was very impressive both in the preseason and uh, and here in opening week. Seven and a half targets per game last year as well. So the volume is definitely there. Uh, we have a lot of questions about the offense, but uh, but I think he is the pretty clear priority. And I will also say that I feel like in most leagues, Cole Beasley is probably gone if you're in a if you're in a larger competitive league, but he is actually like 45 percent rostered, which um, makes the cut for this podcast and makes the cut for the pickups column. I think we all understand that he had um, a, in some ways a bizarre offseason, right? He's he's made a lot of it. He's brought a lot of attention onto himself for for some of the strangest reasons. And he does happen to be in a position um, because of his vaccination status that, you know, there's a greater likelihood that he has to miss a game or two. Um, and, and obviously people are worried about that. But I mean, for goodness sakes, he like he just got targeted 13 times by Josh Allen. He's um, he's a guy coming off a huge year um, when he plays. He's he's a good bet for 10 targets every week and like eight catches. And, you know, like it's a numbers game. And whatever you think of of Cole Beasley, the uh, individual, um, he deserves a spot in most fantasy leagues. I think I was a little surprised to see his uh, his roster percentage as low as it is. Other names that I mentioned. And hey, there's a whole bunch of uh, directions you can take this and a whole bunch of wide receivers you could talk about. But uh, I'm super interested in Rondell Moore. I like everything I saw out of him. Uh, Nelson Aguilar found the end zone. Tim Patrick found the end zone. He's a guy that we talked about 
virtually every pickups podcast last year and people never came around to it. Patrick and KJ Hamler could both benefit uh, in terms of snaps and targets from the uh, from the Jerry Judy situation. Christian Kirk is always difficult because every time he scores touchdowns, um, we rush out and add him and then he has a quiet week immediately thereafter. Although it's the Cardinals. Murray looked fantastic. The entire offense looked fantastic. And I think we want shares of that thing. And then I'll throw Jalen Rager in there as well. Really impressive, like a very impressive preseason. He he had a, a mostly miserable rookie year, caught all six of his targets uh, again after a highlight filled preseason. So Rager uh, suddenly getting moderately interesting. Shepard's a guy I feel like in any medium league should have already mm-hmm. been drafted. And even some of the shallow leagues, I thought he had possibility to be rostered. It's really falling well for him because Evan Ingram hurt. Kenny Galladay got almost nothing out of him this summer. And he admitted, look, it's going to take time. Uh, Barkley, of course, Saquon Barkley was not anywhere close to 100%. And I think Adrian Peterson ruined the ACL return timetable expectations for people How about for, it? for yep. all. I mean, because you know, Adrian Peterson had a, had a season that just doesn't make medical sense. And now everybody else comes back. And I'm like, well, maybe he'll be Adrian Peterson. Well, you know, Barkley's an unbelievable player, and it'd be fun to watch him play at the peak of his powers. But I think we got to be realistic about it. And they, man, they handled him with kid gloves, and he really didn't show much when he played. Shepard already has. Shepard's the one player. I can't think of anybody else in the Giants where you think, you know, Danny Jones seems to really click with yeah. this guy. I don't feel that way about Jones and anybody else, but him and Shepard, uh, maybe the Darius Slayton to a lesser degree. But I think Shepard has a great chance to lead this team in receptions if he can just stay in the field. That's, of course, always been the bugaboo with him. But I, I really like that player, and I, and I want you to make a proactive bid on him. You, you outlined everything perfectly with Beasley. There are ancillary things about him that push back his ADP to a point that it really he was a comical value for the last two or three weeks yep. of draft season because people had you know semi-legitimate reasons for walking away from him, but he's the target machine. He's a target monster, and you know Josh Allen did not play well yesterday. We have to give a lot of that credit to a Pittsburgh defense that's one of the two or three best in football. I don't think there's that many defenses you got to worry about in the NFL, but that Pittsburgh is one of them. So I give them a pass for that. Cole Beasley should certainly be rostered aggressively, and I. I'm looking for a way to get invested in this Arizona offense because I think Kyler Murray might be ready to make a leap this year as a passer, and I'd want a piece of that. And, you know, we talked, you you said, look, Tim Patrick, right? He was a weekly staple last year. We kept talking about him. People, for the most part, kept ignoring it. And I get it. He didn't have a high upside, but he sure caught a lot of touchdowns. I look at this Denver receiver room, right, where they get Sutton back, although he didn't really do anything. Judy looked like he was ready for a, a breakout year. Now that's on ice for a while. But they still have Patrick. They still have Hamler. I mean, imagine if some of these guys were migrated over to the Chiefs. Imagine the Chiefs <laughs> could just take a KJ Hamler or, or Tim Patrick. Yep. I mean, the Chiefs right now are all about two guys, two unbelievable Hall of Fame guys tied to their quarterback. But you know, they kind of, they probably whiffed on Hardman. They have a bunch of receivers who are Jags. Maybe Ceh is a Jag too. Um, Mike Salfino, my my breakfast table colleague, was talking about what if they had drafted DK Metcalf, yeah. right? What if they had drafted DeAndre Swift? Think about that'd be the best offense in league history. Instead, it's all about three guys, and they're still pretty close to the best offense in league history. It's it's funny they almost ha- they almost have a Tim Patrick sized hole in the offense, which is a weird thing to say about Kansas City, right? Because they're such a great offense generally. But man, like a six foot four, like they don't need another Tyree Kill. You don't need somebody who's just a, a sort of uh, you know a vague impression of Tyree Kill, which is what they have in Hardman. They they could use that six foot four body shout out to um rich rebar who pointed out that when they drafted hardman there were there were some things going on with hill's career where they weren't sure if Hill was coming back so i, th- I thought 
it's possible they viewed Hardman as, okay, what if we don't have Hill? We want that speed guy, take the top off the defense guy. But, man, if they had a physical, even if they had kind of like a peak Jamison Crowder, I think that would really fit that offense nicely. I But they don't seem to have that guy right now. Shepard's my priority. Cole Beasley is certainly a proactive guy. And then you can see, you can squint and see the upside of one of the Denver guys, one of the Arizona guys. I'm still going to be more of a, I'll believe it when I see more of it from Rager. I'm not going to go after him progressively or proactively. So he'll probably end up on somebody else's roster. I feel like there's crowding there and there's better, I feel like there's better talent that's already ahead of him in the pecking order. And I'm still not ready to say that Hertz is going to be a good enough distributor with his passing game that he can get a bunch of bunch of people involved in it. So uh, Rager, I'm not going to go after proactively, but there's some good options here that people can address for their wide receiver room. Also, Aguilar, I'd rather have Jacoby Myers in this offense. I'd rather have the tight ends in this offense. So he would be somebody, unless you were in a very deep league, I'd probably just skip over. Yeah, I, I agree with most of that. Uh, I think you're right about Rager's spot in the in the receiving hierarchy there. It was an encouraging game, though, after an encouraging preseason. The the guy that I'm I'm almost infatuated with is uh, is Rondell Moore in part in part because I watch so much Big Ten football. Right, that's probably part of it. He was so good a few years ago; <laughs> like he was so ridiculously good. And then and then I feel like we're we're seeing a version of that guy again. His one one of the most it wasn't a scoring play, so it didn't make a lot of highlight reels. But man, he took a little wide receiver screen from Kyler Murray and just freaking exploded for a 20 plus yard game. He's just one of those guys who has great speed. He's got four, three or sub four, three speed. And it it translates immediately onto the field. Like you can see that he is much quicker um, and he is much faster than the than the people around him. So he was uh, he was really fun. And that was without even really playing like he only played about 20 snaps. And he had this this sort of great improvised big gain with uh, with Murray. And then he had the screen. Eventually, they're going to, I assume, again, this depends on coaching and a lot of things, but I assume they're going to give him a handful of carries because that, you know, he, he was just a he was just a miracle worker in 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 terms of short range touches at the collegiate level. And I think he can do that in this offense as well. So I think as he begins to play a few more snaps, we're going to love him. I like players who identify themselves where like, I think back to when Tavon Austin was an early NFL pick. And you could watch a game and not know wait, wait, which one was the number nine pick overall <laughs> in the draft. Because who, which guy is that? I feel like if you didn't know which player Rondell Moore was, you just knew they had a guy like Rondell Moore and what his basic description was. He, he would immediately identify himself. You're watching the game on mute. You'd be like, that must be Rondell Moore. That's the guy they're talking about. He identifies himself by the way he played on the field. So I, I, I think that's a great call. And um, as obviously you know, he was a tremendous big 10 player and just one of those uh, Purdue, right. I'm just a splashy, just one of those guys. Every time he touches the ball, you got excited. No one, uh, no one depends on a podcast for breaking news, but we actually have news that is breaking for us uh, as we record this on a Monday afternoon. Uh, thanks to producer John dropping in uh, the fact that uh, Raheem Mostert apparently going to go on IR Expected to miss as many as eight weeks. It's uh, it's torn knee cartilage. Uh, that is uh, that is obviously bad news. It's not a it's not a season ender. It's a knee injury that's not a season ender. So I guess it's not exactly the worst case scenario. But 
but it's a fantasy season ender. You you have to turn your back yes. on. unless you have unlimited IR spots. You can't prioritize any kind of keeping of most. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely goes without saying that uh, that you have to drop a player who's going to miss multiple months um, unless they're you know I don't know Christian McCaffrey quality. There's very few players that you're going to hold for for two months because that's almost your entire fantasy regular season. What a shame because I, I love Raheem Mostert too. He's one of my favorite players too. I hate to see that, but. Yeah, part of it. so this does, you know, if you're if you're a disappointed uh, manager with Trey Sermon on a roster, uh, this uh, th- this probably gives you some hope that uh, that that he can obviously ascend the, the depth chart a little bit and make something of a season that has not started out um, particularly well. But uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be perhaps a couple of months for Raheem Mostert. Rough news. Hate to see it happen again. He was just going to absolutely blow up in week one. He would have had at least the week that Mitchell did. So for now, that really solidifies, I think, Mitchell as the priority. Not that he wasn't already, but I think it solidifies Mitchell as the priority on the on the waiver wire, at least at that spot. Um, let's move to quarterback where we had, man, this is another really, uh, this is another injury that I don't even want to talk about. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick suffering a hip injury is just, man, he was set up so well. Um, that receiving core is so fun. <sighs> Antonio Gibson is out there catching passes. They've got McLaurin. They've got Thomas. Like, it's a fun team. Got a fun rookie in Deami Brown. Curtis Samuel eventually comes back. That was going to be a thing. Like, this was, I don't know. I was excited to see what we got from Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. And now he's got a hip injury that's going to cost him multiple weeks pretty clearly. It's uh, our old playoff friend, uh, Taylor Heineke. Uh, is is gonna is gonna come in for him? He seems to be the he seems to have a little bit of a leash. Honestly, like there, it's not like there's so many exciting players out there. Cam Newton's out there, but it doesn't seem like that's gonna happen anytime soon. Um, so we're gonna get the Taylor Heineke experience again. But I'm maybe I'm burying the lead at quarterback because Jameis Winston is still available in over fifty percent of Yahoo leagues, which is not totally surprising because most Yahoo leagues are one QB uh, setups. He had a. He had a crazy stat line that we literally never see. He he passed for fewer than 150 yards and somehow threw five touchdown passes. Um, one of them was basically one of those extended handoffs to Alvin Kamara, but whatever, they all count. Uh, coupled to Juwan Johnson, that was good to see. He had the deep ball to Deontay Harris. Um, so fun game for Jameis. Other guys that I I think we can add if we're if we're in particularly deep formats, Ben Roethlisberger is out there everywhere. He he had, I mean it was a sloppy game, right? It was a it was a bit of a defensive struggle, but he's still the guy who's tied to Claypool and Johnson and and Smith Schuster, so it's a great receiving core. He took uh, I don't know I guess I would say that game script looked a little bit like or the the depth of passing in that game looked a little bit like last year. But most of the beat reporters covering the team have suggested that his arm appears a little stronger this offseason. And I thought the deep balls looked fine. There weren't a ton of them, but I thought they looked fine. Tyra Taylor had a day for Houston. And if Houston can be frisky at all, if they can be that five or six win team that you're talking about, you know, they get a they get a division schedule that's full of uh, friendly defenses. He might get a little bit interesting. He's got a rushing upside. Um, and then Teddy Bridgewater had a day as well, as did uh, Sam Darnold against the against his former team with uh, with a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. He's got that super friendly schedule ahead. So prioritize all these guys for us. You know, Winston, I'm worried about Winston being a trap when when he throws when the volume is so low, but you re- you get all those touchdowns. It's just such a hard way to do your business. The game flowed a certain way. I, I still can't. I, I still can't shake the idea that we're not 
far away from James Winston throwing three interceptions and Taysom Hill playing a second half of a game. And the other thing, too, with Winston is Taysom Hill is always getting in the football field at some point. And that's a, that's a new thing that we have, right? I mean, Winston played, but Taysom Hill played. Um, Andy Dalton played, but Fields played. Um, the Niners used both of their quarterbacks. They had a Trey Lance package, and Lance got in on a touchdown. So what could have been a blow-up game for Garoppolo downgraded to just a, an okay game, but not, not a great game. Um, teams don't mind doing that, and we, we have to be mindful of it. I thought Rod, Roethlisberger looked very old in that game, which, of course, he's you know he's, I've said all season that he's not on the back nine of his career. I think he's on the 18th hole, <laughs> probably, probably approaching the 18th hole. I still think they want to win with it, what is a great defense. When your team dominates – a football game against Josh Allen, who's like the second MVP favorite right yeah. now in the betting markets. I, you, you know, we know the Steelers have a great defense, but you know, to do that at Buffalo, I thought was one of the most impressive things that I saw all weekend. I think Roethlisberger is going to be more of a game manager and somebody they try to hide some game scripts. And albeit, you know, you're right, his offensive talent around him is, is fantastic. He's not somebody I'm that excited about. You know, if Bridgewater still had Judy, because I think Bridgewater and Judy just, they became peanut butter and jelly awfully quick. I think yep. Judy was headed. I, I, I'm so depressed. I thought Judy was going to catch 95 passes. I thought he was going to have a terrific season. He was a great price two months ago. He was even, I thought, still reasonably priced most of the draft season until the very end of it. And even then, I was tempted to take him because I just believe in him so much. And you know, the high ankle sprain, who knows? I mean, that could be four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. I still like Bridgewater. I'd like him a lot more if Judy were on the field. Sam Darnold, I, I like to say that he's younger than Joe Burrow. That's going to be true for the rest of his career. He had everything go possibly wrong that he had, that could. You know, we've all made the Adam Gase jokes, but I'll, you know, he got mono. Who gets mono? Um, he had a, a <laughs> bunch of things go wrong. And now look at what he has in Carolina, where DJ Moore monster game. Uh, Robbie Anderson only made one play, but if you're going to make one play, make it a long touchdown. And Christian McCaffrey, this is maybe my favorite stat. I forget who who mentioned this first on Twitter, so I apologize. Christian McCaffrey is currently the number one in fantasy this week at running back without scoring a touchdown. <laughs> the last time that happened was 2019, also done by C. McCaffrey. That, that just shows you how unfair yeah. that guy is, where he doesn't even get into the end zone and you have fantasy royalty on that team. So what does Sam Darnold finally have? A bunch of unbelievable pieces. The only negative thing I can say about the Panthers is for some reason, fourth and sixth at the Jets 33 in the first half they punted. I don't know why you would ever do that. Kick a field goal, go for <laughs> it, do something. A 15-yard punt is not the answer. So I've talked myself into Darnold. I see the case for Bridgewater. Again, you know, these are going to be second quarterbacks, right? You're not hitching your wagon to any of these guys. I'd also like to see if Heineke, there's different opinions on Heineke. A lot of people are just like, oh, he's a journeyman, he can't play. We used to kind of say that about Fitzpatrick. They were asking Fitzpatrick to, yeah. to be the best side of his journeyman self. Heineke was the one quarterback who scared Tampa Bay in the playoffs. You know, they they handled Rodgers and Breeze, and man, they handled uh, Patrick Mahomes in, in part because of that Kansas City offensive line. Heineke was the guy who really threw a scare into them. I don't see why he can't be 90% of Fitzpatrick. I think that's in play. We still, as you mentioned, they have three dynamic skill position players. And eventually, if they get Samuel back, maybe they have four of those guys. I still think Washington can win that division, and I think Heineke can be okay. Remember last year, they won the division somehow without uh, quarterback play that was any good because Haskins yeah. was terrible. Alex Smith was an amazing comeback story, but he didn't have much left. Kyle Allen is really just a career backup. I think Heineke might be okay. I wish he had more time to prepare for a Thursday night game against the Giants defense. That's pretty good, but I'm not panicking. If I have shares of Gibson, McLaurin, Thomas, 
any of the main guys in that WFT offense, I still think they're probably going to be close to what you expected from them before the season. Another, uh, I, I alluded to it, but another point about uh, about Sam Darnold, we got to look at the schedule, right? Like, and it's it's rough next week. They get the Saints, and the Saints defense obviously just shut down Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, so um, there's something there. So fine, you want to you want to duck him against the Saints, that's okay. But then it's Houston, it's Dallas, it's the Eagles, it's Yum. the Vikings who just got shredded by the Bengals uh, passing attack. It's the Giants, it's Atlanta. It's like it's friendly for the first two months of the season, more or less. So Darnold was always one of those guys for me where if you wanted to take a shot with, you know, basically all leagues where I've taken a shot with either Trey Lance or Justin Fields and and you knew you were going to have to wait for him. Right. Darnold is is one of those pieces that I that I like to plug in in September and October. And, and by the time those guys are ready to go and they're in their under center full time for their teams. Hopefully, I've had a, a handful of good weeks with Darnold, and it started off well. You mentioned Fields and Lance. Let me ask you this. If you're in a super flex league or a league where non-starting quarterbacks or upside quarterbacks down the road have value, would you rather be sitting on Fields right now or Lance right now? It's a good question. I, I feel like this pivoted for me uh, as we got into as we got into August, as we got deeper into August. I, I, I had Lance ahead of him. Um, and I had some I had some like July drafts in which I'd I'd sort of built it around the idea of having Lance and then I'll I'll have a plug and play quarterback for a month or so. Um, it, it just now seems to me um, and, it, and it began to tilt this way, I, I think, in late August that we're going to continue to see this sort of combo Lance Garoppolo situation for a while. And, and the Niners have a, a relatively friendly early season schedule. There's just, just not a lot of losses there for the Niners. And who knows? They were it was kind of a Pyrrhic victory against uh, against Detroit. And they have some injuries. And who knows how any season is going to go. But as I was trying to plot it out, I, I just, you know, I, I see the opportunity for Justin Fields to take over immediately. The town is screaming for it. The city is absolutely screaming for it. Twitter was screaming for it last night. I I'm going to have a difficult time imagining Andy Dalton going <laughs> going much farther beyond the Cincinnati game. Like it, it I also couldn't believe this is a, a little mini rant, but I couldn't believe that the Bears had a situation where they were down three scores late in that game, a couple minutes to go, and they they don't put Justin Fields in for those reps. Like what what are we even doing here? But we got to get to the Justin Fields era soon. I can't believe that we're not there already. He completed both of his throws. You know, they gave him some simple stuff. Mm-hmm. One of them was just an absolute garbage play, but they gave him some simple stuff, simple reads. He completed both of his throws. He rushed for a touchdown. Like, you got to get that kid ready. Um, you already made the decision when you drafted him, and the same is true of Lance. You fundamentally already made the decision about how, how who your future quarterback is going to be. Um, we just got to we just got to land this plane and get there. So uh, that's a very long way of saying that uh, that I think Fields is a starter before Lance is a starter. Uh, I think they I think they have similar upside. I'm very confident in in Fields being a fantasy asset. And this is a prove it year for Matt Nagy. He doesn't, you know, this is his last spin probably. So he needs to make something happen. I think it's the case where you measure multiple times and then you cut once. So when you finally cut, you make the change uh, decisively. I just want to mention one other quarterback really quick. I was even though they didn't win the game, I was very impressed with Mac Jones's accuracy his decision-making, and specifically, if you get a chance to rewatch this game, his pocket awareness, his movement, his ability to be around bodies in the pocket and move to the quiet space where he can actually make a throw and, and functionally step into the throw. I want to be careful the way I say this. It reminded me of a young Tom Brady. 
doesn't mean he's going to be Tom Brady, but he reminded me of like Tom Brady 2001, Tom Brady 2002, where it's like, oh, wow, he does a lot of intangible things right. He's accurate. He's smart. He makes good decisions. You feel like he's not going to submarine the offense. I think they made they found their quarterback for the next 10 years in, in Mac Jones. Now, maybe he'll be Andy Dalton good. Maybe he'll be Joe Flacco good. You know, Maybe he'll just be something like that. But I was really impressed with just the way he handled himself, and the moment never looked too big for him. And I still think the Patriots should have won that game. But I think they made the right pick with Jones. I also think letting Cam Newton go is probably the smartest move for the organization. Just make it clear. Don't confuse anybody. Don't have factions in the, factions in the locker room. I think Mac Jones is, is here to be a very solid player, if not maybe a very good player for the next several years. Man, did he ever answer post-game questions in that sort of robotic, um, Belichickian tone that like you can just tell he's 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 right for that team. And certainly the the you know, after you know, after the stages that he's played on as a as a collegiate quarterback, there's like there's no stage that's too big for him now. He was he was clearly very comfortable. I will I will also say I was I was um as somebody who had a lot of doubt about Zach Wilson and the spot that he went in the draft and his um, you know, I, I just thought I thought he was a very difficult player to evaluate coming out of college because he just had an ocean of space around him against almost every opponent they played. Right. And those guys, those guys can fool me. That guy's that guy's got a live arm. That guy's got a really good arm. Um, he, he made some throws like it wasn't perfect. None of the rookie quarterbacks are perfect, but uh, that guy's got an arm. Oh, certainly good arm talent. The only thing worries me about him is he was getting hit or rushed on or pressured just about on every drop back. Mm-hmm. And the Jets just lost the one pillar of their offensive line. They can't lose. Becton, their cornerstone tackle is going to miss several weeks. But if, if nothing else, the fantasy takeaway there is I, I, I am bullish on Wilson long term. But as somebody who has a lot of investment in Corey Davis, I need Wilson to be good enough just to sustain enough offense and for them to yeah. have, you know, a 20, 22, 24 touchdown pass season. So hopefully, you know, maybe 10 of those can go to Corey Davis. I, I feel very confident Corey Davis will outkick his coverage. And I think Zach Wilson was the right pick for the Jets. Tell me quickly if anybody interested you at the at the tight end position. Um, Juwan Johnson with a couple of touchdowns from Jameis. Cole Komet at least saw a bunch of targets. They were pretty uninteresting, short-range Andy Dalton targets. But whatever, he was targeted. Uh, Jared Cook had a had a nice little game in terms of uh, in terms of workload, at least. Any other names jump out to you? It's I, I think of it as a position where, uh, obviously, if you drafted a top six guy, which is the way I think many of us preferred to, to operate. If you drafted a top six guy, you're set. And if you drafted anybody else, they're totally replaceable. There's, there's not, a, there's not many people beyond that, that first six, you know, I, I guess I'd throw Fant and Higby and a, a Logan Thomas, a couple of others in there, but almost everybody else is droppable, right? If you, if you drafted Mike Gesicki and didn't get out anything out of him in opening week, I'm not gonna, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna pin my hopes to Mike Gesicki. I'm just gonna move on. Right, or, or Hunter Henry or something like that. I do think we might have a Renaissance Gronkowski year coming, and I was really hmm. encouraged by how much they used Higby. I, I think all the people who got burnt by Higby last year, if they went back to him, I think they're going to be really happy with that. The tough thing about tight end is Jawan Johnson scored two touchdowns, but Troutman was on the field more, ran more routes, and this is a chicken-egg thing. Like One of the touchdowns Jawan Johnson scored was a pick play at the goal line where he ends up wide open in the corner of the end zone because the other receiver has taken out, basically bowling balled, to use Doug Farrar's phrase, uh, two of the defenders. This is a touchdown for anybody in the NFL. I also point out Jameis Winston almost overthrew his tight end in the corner of the end zone, as Jameis Winston is wont to do. But Johnson's a, a major, just like every tight end, these guys are unbelievable athletes, right? I mean, so many of them come from basketball backgrounds. They were power forwards and stuff like that. 
but I don't know how much of a snap share, a route share we can count on. The good thing is that when he's going to be on the field, I think we're going to have a lot of games where it's like, oh, wow, Johnson only played 18 snaps. And then somebody else can say, yeah, but he was targeted at the goal line three times. And that's where the money is, right? That's that's where the yeah. cheddar is. I think he, he could maybe be a poor man's Tunyon where he only gets like 57 targets, but he scores eight touchdowns. I think that's in the realm of possibility. Cole Komet is somebody, I, I want to say to you, just draft him next year. There's a breakout season coming for Komet. A lot of times it's the third year for tight ends. He's going to be a dynamic player, but I just want to get Jimmy Graham out of the city. I want to wait until <laughs> Fields maybe has time to grow into the role. Komet, we're going to see the signs. You're going to think to yourself, I know what's coming for this guy. Kind of like the way we felt about Fant and maybe Hawkinson this year, third-year tight end breakout. Yeah. I feel like Komet, maybe not quite to the upside of those guys, Draft him next year. This year, he's going to be kind of a hit or miss player. Cook has just gotten a little bit too old for me to really take seriously. He just just changed teams. I know he's been really good in his 30s. He was a lot more effective with the Saints than anybody had a reason to expect. Bottom line, I hope you found, whether it was the Vanity tight end, whether it was a Higby, whether it was a Thomas, whether it was a Gronkowski, I hope you found one of those guys because I don't think it's the greatest week. I think the Johnson thing could be a trap, even though I think he will score a handful of touchdowns. I just don't think he has any volume upside. Uh, Komet's a year away, and Cook's just a little bit too old. So I'm hoping you don't need to go shopping here. One thing we did last year on this pod is we we always wrapped it by talking about players. You know, we spend, we spend the better part of an hour talking about players that you want to add. Uh, oftentimes in fantasy, we don't give you a corresponding drop, so we always try to do that. Um, give, me, give me a player who's on a bunch of rosters right now that you are entirely willing to drop. Yeah, I don't know if I want a bunch of rosters, but I saw Ramondre Stevenson's probably on a quarter own, 30% own in Yahoo, something like that. And if they're thinking of fumble uh, shaming Harris, who's their best back, what does it say of Stevenson, <laughs> who had, what, one or two carries and is basically mothballed to you know, Lawrence Maroney Island? J.J. Taylor had a good J.J. Taylor had a good camp, man. J.J. Taylor can play. We know White will always have some role in this offense. I think they're eventually going to let Harris out of the doghouse because he's just too talented not to play. I realize that with these running backs like Stevenson, you're just looking for a plausible upside lottery ticket. I, I would just say, okay, well, let's switch that lottery ticket to Kenneth Gainwell or, or Tony Jones or one of the Baltimore running backs, which we didn't talk about a lot. I'm, I'm hoping Tyson Williams has a big game tonight but obviously they've invested in some veterans too uh your lottery ticket should go to somebody else i don't think stevenson should be that guy anymore yeah listen the guy i'll throw out there i had him in a had him in a couple of leagues and i'm still racked with guilt over recommending him to to somebody on twitter who asked a question about a couple of um fringy receivers uh is is russell gage um the the Atlanta's performance was jarring. I, th- I thought in a in a game where I expected it to be back and forth, and I expected uh, a significant total from from both teams, and maybe some of it is the Eagles' defense, but I kind of doubt it. It was uh, it, it was super disappointing. Matt Ryan finishes with only 164 passing yards. Kyle Pitts was relatively quiet, although he saw eight targets in the game. Um, so I feel okay about him. Obviously, we feel okay about Ridley. But man, Russell Gage, two targets, no catches. Uh, that's an easy drop for me because you you only had Russell Gage on the roster for floor. It's not like you ever expected a you know 170-yard, two-touchdown game from Russell Gage. The whole thing, the thinking there was, okay, maybe I'm in a PPR league and I just want a guy who can give me 
you know, I've got multiple flex spots to fill. Just give me six catches and 60 yards. That's all I need. Surely you can do it. Well, he didn't. He didn't do that. He didn't come close to it. And again, only two targets. I'm sure there's going to be a Russell Gage game somewhere down the line where he catches seven balls and it's 75 yards, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel burned by that. Um, if his floor is a zero, he, he has no place on your roster. Yeah. I think he could be a false positive when he has that big game. And also, we didn't mention him in the tight ends. I feel like, I don't know if this is really of use unless you're in a very deep league, but I think the Falcons are going to find 67 catches for Hayden Hurst. He's going to have like that 67, yeah, yeah. 545, four touchdown, five touchdown season. So that will probably be talking Hayden Hurst during bye weeks after some major tight end, unfortunately gets hurt or something. It's not going to be, a, a there's not an upside here because he can't be Calvin Ridley and you know, Kyle Pitts. Right. The good news with Kyle Pitts, if you have Kyle Pitts, is he got all the, snaps you want you get all the routes run that you want it just didn't work out i still think arthur smith is a good coach and the falcons defense is going to be so bad that maybe they'll have some games like the lions had yesterday where the falcons get boat raced but matt ryan threw 57 passes and everybody goes home happy but i agree even with that russell gage is somebody you can't carry right now oh what a nice note to end on uh a little note of hopefulness for for atlanta fans kind of sort of or at least atlanta fantasy investors that is going to do it for our first pickups pod of the season we're in it this was fun uh charles robinson is joined by frank schwab to recap all 14 of sunday's games in uh in the latest episode of you pod to win the game so please check that out look for it on your podcast platform of choice um huge thanks to scott for joining me for producer john uh i'm at andy barons on twitter that right there is at scott underscore pianowski you can check us out uh on twitter generally the whole fantasy team at yahoo fantasy scott will be back tomorrow with frank schwab for the betting preview episode of this year podcast until then we are out we are out